Hello and welcome to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We will, as always, start with a story. Dear alcohol, it's been 164 days since we were last together. Feels longer, doesn't it? I wasn't sure whether I should write this letter. I was scared of the feelings it would bring up. They say that there is no benefit in going backwards and digging up the past, and I get that now. But with you, for us, there's too much left unresolved. I just woke up one day and I didn't want you anymore, and I think you deserve to know why, so here goes. I didn't really even like you at first, but all my friends did, so I just thought there must be something about you. We hung out more and more, always with other people, and I guess you grew on me. In fact, we had some bloody good times over the years, but I think things took a turn when we started hanging out just the two of us. Don't get me wrong, you were there for me when nobody else was, when nobody else understood me, and I'm grateful for that. But I think you played on my vulnerability and took advantage when I wasn't in the best headspace. Maybe you didn't mean to, I don't know. I don't really want to know, but in time, you took control of me in the subtlest of ways. You see, I didn't need you. I knew that, and you knew that, but yet you just kept convincing me otherwise. I was lonely, and you were there. I thought I could only be myself around you, but the truth is, I wasn't me at all. With you, or without you. You changed me. I didn't even know who I was anymore. The people in my life were getting further and further away from me, and now I know that it was because of you. I'm not saying you did it on purpose, but Maybe I wouldn't have hurt and upset so many people if we hadn't gotten so close. I'm not blaming you for everything that's happened and I'm not even angry with you. I'm angry with me. It was all my fault, but you definitely didn't help. It's weird because you were so not good for me. You were literally destroying me even though I didn't want to admit it, but I won't lie. I miss you a little bit. I miss the comfort you brought me. Not enough to want you back, but I, like I said, there were some good times. So I guess this is goodbye. It's also a request. If you see me around, please don't talk to me. Don't even look in my direction because the truth is, although I know I'm so much better off without you, I mean, look at me, I'm smashing life, finally. Better late than never, I guess. But yeah, I'm not sure I could handle it. You have a way of pulling me back in and I'm not quite ready to test this newfound strength of mine. Not yet anyway. So as much as it would have been nice if you could have stuck around, we both know that would just have ended in disaster, like a huge end of the world type disaster. So please just don't. We had 20 years of ups and downs and I'm afraid too many of those were downs. So now, my friend, I need to do the next 20 on my own. Thank you for each and every lesson. Shana. Wow. Um, we'll talk about that a bit more in a second, but firstly, thank you so much, Shana, for joining us. Before we, before we start properly, a little note to anyone who is listening for the first time or anybody who has forgotten. My name is Stefano. I run Puck Creations and I am the regular host of this podcast. If the title Storytelling with Puck hasn't given it away, this podcast is all about stories. We'll share stories, chat about stories, and see how stories fit in with the business world too. Of course, we couldn't do that without our wonderful guests. So let's start by properly introducing 
the incredible and very open and honest Shana Jasmat. I really hope I am pronouncing your name correctly. You have, yes. <laughs> Thank Hello. You. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Would that be okay? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it needs to come with an explanation now I started with that story. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, oh God, where do I even start? So I'm a 40-year-old single girl from the West Midlands in the UK and the last year for me has been a whirlwind. Um, I've spent so much of my life and years looking for some kind of direction and place in life and just never really found it. And, you know, feeling lost for so much of my adult life led me down some very dark paths, um, hence the alcohol consumption. Um, my mental health was in a bad way, um, especially in the last maybe 10, 15 years or so. Um, something happened last year. I can't really put my finger on what it was. It was just this moment of clarity, maybe, um, where I decided that I was really, really just done with that life of feeling miserable and lost and the pain and the suffering that came with it. And not just came with it for me, but that I was probably projecting out to everybody else in my world. And um, I decided it needed to change. So I changed it, <laughs> which sounds, yeah, like it's just something easy to do. And it, it hasn't been. It's been one hell of a journey. But, um, yeah, I, I'd spent the last year or so turning my life around. And, you know, part of that was giving up alcohol, which hence the letter, which is something that I actually wrote, um, well, months ago now. But every time I read it, it's still very like... I don't know, even I find it quite powerful. And I'm like, wow. It is powerful. I imagine it's quite haunting. I don't know if that's the right word um, sometimes. This, yes, because I think, you know, I'm like, so I'm 13 months sober now. Well done. So that was written quite a while ago. And it's now to me, it's almost like second nature. It's not something I have to keep processing or think about or stop myself from thinking about alcohol or anything like that. It's just, it's just how it is. But reading that, yeah, it takes you back to those feelings that mm. I did, you know, how I used to feel, how the dark place I was in, I guess. So, yeah, it's a little bit weird to read it. But I think it's also important for me as well yeah. to just remind myself that's how bad it was. That's how scary it was. Yeah, I, I can see how it would be. I've not been in that situation at all. and my. It's an interesting word, um, but uh, I was going to say my relationship with alcohol, and that actually comes from what you read at the beginning. The story you read, the letter you read, was very much describing a relationship with alcohol. It was a love-hate, something you... The way that I picture it anyway, the way that I was reading into it was you actually still, especially when you were writing that letter, had, had a love for alcohol. There's something that seems special about it, something that makes you want to be with it all the time, something that makes you um, feel different whenever you're around it. But 
it's one of those relationships which feels good until it really isn't. Yeah. And everyone else can see that it's a bad relationship, but you can't see. And that to me, the way you read it, that's how it came across to me. Mm-hmm. I've personally never been in that position, never had that relationship with alcohol. Mine's, you know, the mate down the pub, I guess, when we're talking about yeah. <laughs> that relationship with alcohol. So if we're going to use uh, those kind of metaphors. So I can see why it's important for you to keep on revisiting and understanding it. But also I imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, that there must also be points where revisiting it isn't what you want to do. And sometimes you just want to not be having to think about it all the time yeah I think it's like you said you know it's important just every now and then I think you know reading it that that wasn't too difficult but I think if I was one of the people that there are people that doesn't matter how long they've gone still have those moments of maybe I could just have one maybe I can maybe I'm okay now and I can go back and moderate that is probably when I need to read that letter and remind myself you know you couldn't um <laughs> So it, it's a kind of, it's something I need that probably I'm glad I wrote and will keep there for those kind of moments. But yeah, I feel like I'm lucky in that, well, I, maybe lucky is the wrong word, but I speak to a lot of people that still miss it quite a lot and still want to go, not obviously back to the dark days, but when it was fairly normal and controlled and I don't have that I just I'm just like I'm done that's interesting do you have any insights or ideas as to why you think that might be to why you think you don't have that same urge that some other people do it's something it's strange actually I wrote a post about this for I'm, I'm actually an ambassador for a, a sober social sober community brilliant um Please tell us what that is, so that if people yeah, they're, they're called Be Sober. Find them on Instagram. They've got a website, etc. And I joined them last summer when I was probably about six months into my sobriety, and I think at that point we thought lockdown was probably going to be coming to an end soon. Right. <laughs> so my it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was fear, but I did think right. If I'm going to have to start socialising again, and now I'm not drinking. I would like to meet some people who are in the same boat as me. Um, so I came across Be Sober and strangely enough, they were looking for ambassadors for the different parts of the country because they started out in Manchester mm-hmm. um, and they wanted kind of people in different cities. So I became an ambassador for them and yeah, best thing I ever did. Great group of people, all the support that you need without having to, I don't want to, say this because I don't and come across like I'm against it but it's it's not like going to Alcoholics Anonymous like AA I think has very this kind of very uh prescriptive kind of you know organization when you come in this is how you do it you follow the steps Be Sober is just about meeting like-minded people that have stopped drinking for whatever reason but the support is also there they do have a you know quite a good support system but it's more about the social aspect 
Okay. As you say, I personally don't know either of the groups. Um, it's it's not a world that I've had to frequent, but I know that both of those groups have been extremely helpful for different people in different ways. And so yes. I, I would. my one suggestion is that if you need support, get support wherever you think that's yeah. best to, to anybody who is, who is listening. But I think it's it's important that you had that support and, and something which is interesting and I think could have swung the pendulum either way was when you talk about the timeline and you say that you've now been sober for roughly 13 months. It's uh, we, We're recording this currently in March 2021. So lots of people listening will probably realise that we are still in many countries in lockdown because of COVID-19. Yeah. So when you first moved into sobriety shall we say I don't Mm -hmm. think that's the right word (laughs) when you first decided on it maybe um it must have been a very strange time to do that and I guess could have swung either to being a benefit or a negative how how did that impact you for me my whole situation is very different in that I was home alone at the time in February last year when I say home, I live with my parents usually, but they go to India every winter. So they were away out the country. And I, at that point, was in my one of my usual cycles of going downhill, spiralling, you know, by yourself. Nobody's there to tell you anything what or watch what you're doing. I didn't have a job at the time. Um, so, I, you know, not in a brilliant headspace. And the drinking, as per usual, as it did with me, was starting to increase. And I think my parents were aware of this happening. You know, parents are parents, they recognise things. And I think they even, from all all the way over in India, they knew that I wasn't in a good headspace. And I think it just, there was a a weekend, and this is quite, you know, I don't often tell people this, but I kind of feel like I have to, for people to understand how my sobriety even started. I didn't answer the phone over a weekend. I was in a bad headspace. And when I did that, I used to shut down. I was just like, people, leave me alone, please parents got worried because I wasn't answering the phone and then um, they actually sent I think they may have called one of our neighbours who had a key to our house and my neighbours just walked into the house while I was there and it was it was kind of like I guess you'd call sort of like an intervention they were they were you don't mind me asking what 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 kind of um mindset and state were you in at the time when when the neighbours came through the door they, I, I actually wasn't in, I've been in way worse situations. I, if, a bit, the day was blurry because it, it turned into quite an emotional day. So I don't remember a lot of it, probably blocked much of it out. Um, I think I was just watching TV and I was drinking, but I wasn't in like a, I wasn't in a danger situation. I was just in a cocooned myself into like a little hole and didn't want to speak to anyone. Did they say something in particular that made you realise or was it purely the action of your parents being so worried that they asked somebody to go into the house without? Yeah, that that to me was the turning point of this isn't just about you anymore or your immediate family. This is now, you know, your neighbours have had to come in because you're worrying your parents that much. People that you've have seen you grow up, like I was seven years old when we moved into this house 
and I turned 40 last year. So these neighbours have seen me grow up and they've had to come in and check basically probably if I'm still alive. Wow. You know, that's that's a bit of a like moment of you need to sort your shit out now. Uh, yeah, um, it's interesting. I wonder as well, sometimes there are, are lots of other factors that cause people to realise that that's the right time. I wonder if even exactly the same situation had happened the year before, if you would have, what do you think? Would, would, would if, if the same situation had happened the year before, would you have reacted in the same way or would your head have been in a different place at the time, do you think? I honestly, I honestly can't say because I have been, like I said, in much worse situations where I have ended up in hospital. And if that didn't make me stop, that's why I say this wasn't one of the worst. I think it was maybe one of the more shameful moments. I, I, I can't really put my finger on what it was. Part of it was, oh, God, other people know now as well. Like, it's not that, but it can't be, it won't be a secret. And the other part of it was like, oh, I am actually tired of this now as well. Like, it was a combination of different things, I think. And, I, you know, I was taken out of that situation. And I, I went to stay with family for just over, well, for about two weeks before I was actually literally put on a plane to India to go and stay with my parents. Okay. Um, now it sounds a bit dramatic, but I was I was actually due to go out and visit them anyway. We just changed the flight. <laughs> okay. um, but I knew there was just it's like without even make having a conversation with anybody. So probably had it with myself. I knew the minute I landed in India, that was it. No more. So how did that actually play out? Um, you you changed the flights so mm-hmm. that you could get out earlier yeah you had in your head that you were going to stop when you got there which i think sometimes that determination that mindset helps um but even when you have that sometimes you know life happens and gets in the way mm-hmm. how did it actually play out but from maybe maybe take us through the story of the moment that you got on the plane to the moment that you landed what emotions you had at the time etc um I got on the plane and made full use of the free alcohol that <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds so ridiculous isn't it I it was like it's a completely understandable I think lots of people will understand that like not to a ridiculous stupid level it was just when I get there I'm not going to drink anymore there's free alcohol yeah I'm just gonna have a few you know it wasn't I didn't get wasted or anything but I had my last few drinks uh I landed my dad picked me up and for the next I'd say four three or four days wasn't really talked about I think my parents just wanted me to just you know she's here now we've got her in front of us she's okay and they just let me kind of settle in um do you think that helped the fact that it was yes I think if I'd have been bombarded with this like conversation about it all straight away I it would have I think I would have just put up a like resistance and just like not wanted to talk about it I needed to just let myself yeah settle in I guess adjust and then they did then the conversation did come up you know I already knew at that point we didn't talk about drinking 
I'd in my head decided I wasn't going to drink or wasn't even going to look and see how I could get any drink, knowing that there would have been some in the house. And then, yeah, a few days in, they asked me to sit down with them and we had the conversation. And again, I can't remember it, but it was along the lines of this has to stop now. And, you know, we'd had that before. But this time, it wasn't just that we, it, this has to stop Shana. It was also me going, yes, I know. And I'm already there. I'm already ahead of you. It has stopped. Um, I knew that I meant it. They'd heard it so many times before, so they weren't quite sure that it Not they, as convinced as you were. Yeah. Okay. So what I, I had to just show them. Um, and in, in some ways you were proving something to them as much as you were to yourself. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I had to I probably agree to do things that I didn't really want to do. Like they'd, you know, I didn't realise they'd been contacting like what they thought were, you know, um, alternative thera therapies and doctors and stuff who could help with this situation. And they'd ordered these like herbal remedies. I don't even know what they were, which were, I was meant to add this powder to a drink and it would stop the cravings. Oh, right. Okay. Um, which you can get in medicine for me. It exists. If you went to, in like a doctor here, they would prescribe you something. This was just a herbal type of remedy that with the same thing. Now they didn't, asked me to start taking this until we had the conversation so like I said we're like four or five days in now but what they never really ever believed is that I wasn't addicted physically because once I got off that plane and said that's it I didn't have any like withdrawal or anything I just knew it has to stop my addiction was like an emotional one to it that's interesting um I won't delve too much further into questioning around that because it's not my area of expertise and yeah and, and not, i'll be honest I, I don't yeah i don't know enough about it either yeah and so i don't want to you know i don't want either of us to be second guessing the medical um <laughs> the medical profession and, and, and what that really means but from a personal point of view and 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 how you were feeling at the time and you know that's something you can speak about in more depth you had those two weeks was it two weeks you had in india did you say when I got there yeah after you got there was it two weeks altogether so you had those first few days where you didn't speak about it oh no I stayed there it. for months oh how many months did you stay there for three months three months oh you were supposed to go on a two-week trip is that right and then you that's ended it up it was meant to be a short visit that dates got changed ended up out there then it was a bit of an open-ended thing but then lockdown happened of course right perfect timing um so, so pretty much happened? yeah where, where in india were you for for uh, our listeners who who know the geography of india a little bit better um so we're from gujarat which is um state on the west coast mm -hmm. um north of mumbai kind of like the middle of the country if you look at it on a map um in a little village we're not really near a, a city or anything. I love it because it's so rural and quiet. And, you know, I go there and my mission every time I go to India is make up for all the books I haven't read in the last few years. And I <laughs> jam pack it into like 
<laughs> however long I'm there I'm like more books let's read more books so it's you know I couldn't have wished for a better place to get myself together it was just ideal so you're in this quiet place you're in this village um where what what's the atmosphere like there what, what with in general um is there much of a culture of drinking alcohol is there much of a in that village is there much, are there many people who either do it casually or or drink a lot of alcohol in that village How, what was the culture like in india if you're in a city you know there are bars there are places to go gujarat is a dry state though it's oh. one of the there's there's very few left um but it's still one of the remaining states where you're not allowed to drink the only way alcohol is permitted is if you're a tourist, you get a permit and you can buy it. Um, you can purchase alcohol outside of the state legally um, and you can take it into the state. So as you know, my parents aren't residents, but then we don't live there. They can get a tourist permit and they can buy and take it over the border. And that's fine. But it is all, you know, it has to if they were ever checked upon, they have to make sure that the amount of alcohol they have equates to what's on their permit. Right. Yeah. I imagine it's, you know, it's, it's personal use, etc. cetera. Uh, but yes. that, that's, um, that must've been helpful. Um, the, the idea that you can't buy it while you're there must be. Yeah. Helpful. Um, so you had how many months, three months, three months, three months, what, uh, three months there, uh, catching up on your books. Um, <laughs> as, as you say, <laughs> I imagine eating some wonderful food. I've 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 been to India and uh, the food there for me is some of the best food in the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe you hate it. I don't know. <laughs> oh no! So without that, I mean, it's funny because when I'm there for that long, you do miss kind of Western food, and they're like every now and then I'm like, "Mum, we're making pasta tonight," and she's like, "Okay," because that's what you miss. But yeah, yeah like without I, I can't go more than a few days without wanting Indian food it's just yes i agree yeah. with you wholeheartedly <laughs> I, I live in the netherlands and um uh, I, I live in the, the south of the netherlands in a, in a place called eindhoven now um and there are some good um places to get indian food but in comparison to the indian food in india or the indian food in the uk um it's not even close nah. so it's it, it makes me Makes me slightly envious, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but but we'll uh, we'll steer away from that for a second because the the feasts of India are absolutely wonderful, and uh, so you had a chance to embrace the the, the home cooking and um, the the restaurants etc. in India without having the temptation of alcohol being quite so strong. And so after those three months were over, and you had to get back on a plane with the opportunity for free alcohol and you had to come back to the UK and get back into what is more of a normal lifestyle. How did that feel? A reminder that you're currently listening to the Storytelling with Puck podcast and our guest is the incredibly kind, incredibly open Shana Jasmat. Throughout the conversation, we have been speaking about the sensitive subject of alcoholism. Neither of us are experts on this, so please do not construe this conversation in any way as medical advice. If you need support, please get in contact with Be Sober, Alcoholics Anonymous or a medical professional. The conversation continues to talk about serious subjects such as this 
and we dig deep into a story about mental health. Please consider stopping here if you do not feel able to listen to something like this right now. If you decide to continue, you will also get to listen to some laughter, a scary travelling story, and of course, the traditional end to any Storytelling with Puck podcast, a tale from Puck Creations. For now, let's see what happened when Shana left India. It, I was I was quite apprehensive before we came back. It was something that I was a little bit worried about, but I I did so much work on my mindset while I was out there that I think old Shana would would probably really worked herself up about it, got quite stressed, and although I was apprehensive, I wasn't in the, that kind of mindset. I was like, you know what? We'll just deal with it. We'll deal with how I feel when I get there. I can't, there's no point worrying about it now. We're not home yet. The whole, the flight was a whole different situation because we actually came back on one of the um, UK charter flights that the government had put on. So it wasn't a normal flight. Because of COVID. So you had Because of COVID, okay. yeah. So that was, it wasn't a normal flight at all. And apparently somebody told me after that there was alcohol on there, but... I mean, there's a whole other story in how we got on that flight, which would take forever. And it kind of explains why I got on that plane, fell asleep and just didn't speak for the entire journey home because it was so like traumatic. I'm kind of interested now. When you say forever, how long would it actually take? Could you give a short version? I mean, let's just say I made jokes Um when we were trying to book these flights or get home, there were always talks when we were in India about slight jokes. Have you ever seen um, The Killing Fields? Yes, yeah, uh, about Cambodia. Yes, right. And when um, towards, when all of the expats are leaving, there's like that last flight and you see they're all trying to get on it. I joked to my family, I was like, that's going to be us. We're going to be these, like, we're going to be stranded in India because we're not, we haven't booked one of these government flights. Anyway, it got to the point where the government said, we're going to, there's another date coming up. We can't guarantee when the next load us. So I said to my parents, we need to be on that flight. So I managed to get us on that flight somehow, not just me, mum and dad, but about six other people from the village that were all elderly and couldn't travel alone. I was like, no, we're taking them all with us. We're all going. <laughs> so got, we all got to the airport. It was all very last minute and rushed. Getting our boarding passes, waiting, you know. And they're like, your names haven't been put on the system yet. They'll come through. Everything's very last minute here. So don't worry. We're just waiting. Things are still being processed. Made the stupid mistake. of um, Boarding passes coming through in dribs and drabs. We agreed that some of us who have got our boarding passes check our luggage in and go through. Right. All of a sudden, there's only me, my mum, and this old lady left. And they're like, no, no, too late. Forget that's it. Boarding passes haven't come. You, you won't be able to get on the flight. And I'm like, what? And it was just this horrendous time of the man from the embassy saying, if we can't get you on this flight, what are you going to do? And I'm like, no, no, we have to be on the flight. He said, but we might not be able to get you. I said, my dad has already gone. And he said, where have you come from? I said, we've like travelled eight hours to get here to this airport today. He said, we'll put you in a hotel and you'll have to go back. I was like, no, this can't happen. Wow. Um, 
so basically the next hour or so imagine we did get the boarding passes but imagine that whole the airport is empty because the only flight is leaving is that flight because of covid right there's no Nobody, normal flights there's no there's nothing it's purely open for this one flight so then it's a case of once we get the boarding passes it's running through the airport to try and get to the gate with all the security and all the people trying to help us the men, man from the embassy all of this craziness but at each point being stopped because of the COVID restrictions, we had to keep getting checked for our temperature and getting the right form mm-hmm. handed over. We'd lost one of the forms. And it was just like, this is like horrendous. We did make it obviously onto the plane. And all I remember was finding my seat, sitting down and spending probably the next like half an hour at least, just not speaking, but crying, like just from the head down. And just like, what? even was that in some ways so, was it a distraction <laughs> almost a good distraction from the apprehension of worrying about having to think about alcohol on the plane like we talk about it now in that old Shana would not have handled that situation how I did I mean it sounds like I didn't handle it but I did you know despite the fact my parents were there and everybody else was older than me I took control of that situation I was the one who was handling all the passports and the boarding passes and making sure we were all together and there is no way I would have handled that and you know we talk we'd laugh about it we have to laugh about it I mean that situation is literally and I you know kick myself for the fact that I was the one that joking about it we're going to be the people that are trying to get desperately get on the flight at the end and it was <laughs> so so yeah alcohol was not even on my radar and then we got home and it was two weeks of adjusting to lockdown we were obviously having to isolate um but I don't the summer went by without me really thinking about it. It was a good few months in where I thought, I wonder if I should try something alcohol-free. Right, um, to see if you could get the taste without the... Yeah, because I thought, you know, all I was worried about was or being invited to parties, events. And I just thought, oh, it'd be nice to, like, at least take something that I know I can drink, you know. So I, and I knew there were things out there. But let's just see if there's anything I like. So I know that that option's always there. Um, so, yes, I did explore a few different, you know, alcohol-free beers and things like that. And there's a few I like. We've got some at home. But they just sit there. Like, occasionally I might have one and that is it. And that's it. I don't feel the need to have five. So you haven't replaced one addiction with another? Um, no. Just uh, in the social circumstances sometimes or for any other reason you might feel like you need not need that's probably the wrong word you want to have uh a, a non-alcoholic beer or something yeah. like that it's there uh, we uh, the option for me is there and the option isn't something that i need to worry about in that i feel confident that it's just it's just nice to have a beer that you know is alcohol free and is it making me want to go and get a real one you know, for some people, there is that danger and that's why they will not touch it because they just don't think they can. Um, everybody's different. Everybody stops drinking for different reasons. So for me, I'm OK with it, but it isn't something that I, like say, have replaced. I don't 
the time I go weeks without having a drink an alcohol free drink on my birthday last year I thought well you know we have to stock up on the alcohol free champagne and all of this and uh, I think I barely had anything that day didn't need it didn't want it which was nice to know that yeah I imagine that all of those things must sometimes again I'm projecting a bit here but do they do they feel like a self-test a personal test sometimes um and not purposefully not that you're actually testing yourself but afterwards you realize you've passed the test that you didn't know you were taking if that makes yes. sense makes complete sense so the birthday was one christmas was another one how am i going to feel and i got through that whole day and i think i probably had maybe two alcohol free drinks the entire day okay and there was me expecting to like always have to need that glass because it's Christmas and I didn't. Um, but my biggest one was like test that I didn't realise was happening was, was it last weekend? Um, my parents actually had to go somewhere and were out for the entire day. And it wasn't until about four hours in, I suddenly realised you're home alone on a Sunday. And I was, I'd done everything I needed to do. And I'm like, why am I bored? What, 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 what is this? Why can't I sit by myself? What did I used to do? And then I remember we used to sit and drink. <laughs> um, and then that made me realise. Have you replaced that with something now? Or is it actually that you realise that you are quite comfortable and not so bored within yourself? I think or I'm comfortable. still a struggle? It's not a struggle that was the first time I realized it and it was also the first time I thought this is what I used to do and actually I could go to the shop now and buy something and no one would know it, it was a thought that wasn't like oh I could do it I could do it and I want to it was like I could but I, I don't want to it was a really nice realization that I was like perfect opportunity but I don't don't even want to go there not even interested um I'd say the first I think a lot of my time has been taken up. I wouldn't say an addiction, but the time has been taken up now, starting my business. Do I mean, you know, I found all these things that I love to do. I love to write. Um, building a business, as you know, is just hard work, takes up a lot of time. Um, so yeah, I guess my time, I'm just have got all this time back and I'm putting it to use rather than drinking it away, which is what I used to do. Perfect. That's actually a great opportunity because I was I was uh, erring towards that anyway. I wanted to, to to start talking more about your business, and you mentioned at the very beginning um, of the podcast that uh, you are now focused on your new business, and you've this is where your mind is, and and what you do on a day to day basis. So, what is your business? What do you do? Tell us about it. Um, so, I'm a mindset coach, and um, you know, I guess this all came about because I stopped drinking and I had this opportunity to figure out really what I wanted to do. And and I just, it just made sense. I've always wanted to help people. I've always wanted to, to do something in that kind of, you know, where I, I don't know, felt like I was doing something worthwhile. And I've tried different careers and nothing really fitted it or settled with me. Right. And um, I got my own coach to kind of help me come up with like where am I going life direction um and I just said to her one day I really wish like I'd like to do what you do I think eventually she's like why eventually like what are you going to do in the meantime I said I don't know but she said well let's do that now then I was like well, I can't do that now I don't 
I thought it was something that was so far away and I couldn't just decide to do it. Obviously, she made me realise that was possible. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I I want to just help women who basically, like me, were lost. Lost to the point of feeling desperate and self-destructive because they just, you know, was, nothing made sense in in their lives. Nothing feels right. And although nothing's that bad, I think when it's not that bad, like there's no like tragedy that's happened, it's hard to explain to people why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Right. Is there sometimes, um, I've heard this before, and is there a guilt for feeling sad and bad about things and life and your lot in life when you think, well, hang on a minute, it doesn't compare to everyone else. Is that comparisonitis, but not in the sense that people often talk about comparisonitis in the business world, that everything and everyone is so much better than me. There's that imposter syndrome style comparisonitis. But is there the comparisonitis of, well, actually, it's not that bad, I should stop complaining type comparisonitis. Is that part of the, the challenge that people have? Yeah, it, it it's just... You know, and people say, oh, everybody's problems are different. It's all relative. And you believe that to a certain extent. But then when you try and explain to other people why you're feeling what you're feeling and they just don't get it, then you start to question, oh, God, why maybe I'm just complaining? What What is so bad about my life? So then you feel guilty, but you still have those feelings. And that's why I think for me, the alcohol like was part of the numbing process. It was, you know, people are say not people, people didn't say anything to me, but you, you are made to think and feel whether it's yourself or the people that the feelings aren't, I don't know, they shouldn't be as bad as they are. But I understand. I, I understand that, and uh, and I think lots of people. Well, clearly, there's a whole um, business, and there's a whole uh, opportunity for you to speak to lots of people like that. So, um, <laughs> I don't need to tell you that there are lots mm. of other people who have those feelings too. It's um, it, it can be a challenge because, in some ways, we all think, well, hang on, let's get some perspective on life here, and you know, yeah. think about maybe the idea that we're having a difficult month in terms of money and then you realize but actually there's people who are so much poorer than us in the world etc and we think oh I'm having a really uh, tough day motivating myself to get out of bed and then you realize that there are people who have severe depression and can never get out of bed or people who don't have the physical ability to get out of bed and so there's always these this comparisonitis this perspective Mm -hmm. but in reality to have to constantly think about, well, maybe my lot in life isn't quite as bad as somebody else's, so therefore I should just feel better, is part of what makes you feel worse. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's completely understandable that we have different feelings. It's completely understandable that we hurt. It's completely understandable that we are challenged in life and it doesn't matter the idea that other people have it worse in some ways actually what you're going through deserves respect and it deserves to be listened to and you deserve the chance to 
try and come through it. So I, it, that's my perspective on it. Would you agree with that idea? Have I got have I got anywhere near it? <laughs> yeah, no, you you have completely. And I think, like you said, it's that case of everybody's world is everybody's world. Like we all have a different way of looking at things. My pain might be nothing in comparison to what someone else is feeling, but that's their world, and it's all relative to what's going on there. And you know if I dismiss my pain because of somebody else's situation, all I'm doing is ignoring it, suppressing it, putting it to the side, not dealing with it, not acknowledging it. And that is where we get the problem. This is because we, we made to feel like we're not allowed to feel it. Also the other side to that coin is what's the point of not feeling it or not, or pretending not to feel it. Is it in any way going to help the people who are in a worse situation by you pretending that it didn't happen? Exactly. I mean, I. it's like that whole, I, I use this now when my parents sometimes say things, my dad does it a lot, or when I don't finish what I'm eating, you know, the whole, there are starving yeah. people. Yes, but by me not finishing my dinner, I'm not helping. That is making absolutely no difference to the people that don't have the food. So... Like, However, how I'm not going to. You know, it's a case of dad, my, my, in my world, if I don't eat all of it, I, it's because I realize I'm putting on weight. So I need to watch that. I can't help the person in their world with what's going on there. So, yeah, it's the same kind of thing, isn't it? We, what we do is impacting us. So that's what we need to focus on. Yeah, that's exactly it. We can't, we can't constantly, yes, it's important to be aware of our surroundings. Yes, it's important to understand that there are different problems in the world. And if we can help and we have the ability to help, then it's a really good thing if we do help. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that every single second of the day, we have to be criticising ourselves and blaming ourselves for the fact that we're full. <laughs> we yeah. can't finish a meal or um we're maybe a bit too tired to get up and go for a running a run in the morning or as a kid the idea that you might not want to go to school and yes there are lots of people who are desperate to have an education it's true and it is important to realize that and to understand that but it's also important to realize that sometimes as a kid it can be difficult to get yourself motivated to go to school and it doesn't make you a criminal. You're a child. Mm. That's life. <laughs> so yeah, so it's I, like, I understand that. It's just like, you know, we shouldn't feel guilty about our situation just because somebody else is worse off if it's completely unrelated. You know, I mean, if a child doesn't want to go to school, you, to guilt them by saying there are so many kids that don't get education, count yourself lucky if somebody doesn't want to go to school god knows what's going on in their head it might be something really a big reason why they don't want to go and putting that on them is yeah not helpful and don't get me wrong I'm guilty of it myself I, I have the perspective challenge all the time and I'm sure we all do and I'm sure I say it to yeah. other people and I think it about other people all the time too it's it's an easy thing to do <laughs> but yeah it is it's it's just we shouldn't feel bad when we look back and go oh I did that then We've all done it. I'm sure we've all done it. But once it all it is, I think, is once you realise how it's not helpful, just be aware of it. Be more aware of what you say and how it might make somebody else feel. That's, I think, all we can do, really, is be aware of it. 
so this is this 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 kind of conversation um and i'm sure it goes into um a lot more depth and you're there to listen and to to, to uh, possibly more even than to, to to speak but is this the kind of thing that you do with your clients then yeah and and i think a lot of it is understanding some of the feelings and thoughts they have you know when you when you say to yourself well, i can't do that what and you ask that person but why and they don't really have well, they do have a reason that they give you and you know that's not the real reason. I I can help them figure out what is really going on behind that. So coming back to the idea and the reason for this podcast, how do stories help with that? For me, I stories for me are the ways to connect with my audience and my potential clients because you know, it's all well and good me saying, this is what I do. I'm good at it. You come, you know, I can help you pay me money. It's just, I can show you my certificates. I can do it. But what is that going to do? You need to connect to the person. That person needs to really know that you understand them. And for me, the only way to do that is to be relatable. And not everybody can do it in story form. I feel like I get my I'm very honest and open and the real me comes out in when I write and in my words and I think that is what people connect with do you um, find then when you're also speaking to clients and you ask them about their lives that they're maybe a little bit more willing to tell you their story yeah it's it's um I think for me it's really helpful that I can not only just say to somebody I can help you but I can say I've been where you are and I've come through it so I can't just help you because I have the skills I've done it myself I didn't right. learn you know it's 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 an experience that I've been through um you know everybody's experience will differ slightly but I I can understand where you are now I I know potentially where you want to go so I can help you through those steps and you know it's not something I've learned from a book I've lived it so we've been focusing on these stories and your story and how your story connects with others. So it's probably quite important that we tell another one. There's one particular story that I know um, because I was uh, privileged to be able to read it when you shared it with Storytelling with Puck. I believe it's called The Lady with the Smile. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Fantastic. Would you mind reading that? Um, probably for me as much as for anyone else, but also for our audience to be able to hear it. Yeah, definitely. Um Hey, hang on a second. Right, so this is the lady with the smile. Beep, beep, beep. Sorry, darling, I just need to check your obs. I open my eyes and take a peek at the time on my phone, which I seem to be clutching onto for dear life. It's after 3am. I look up at the nurse and give her a look that says, it hurts, everything hurts. She looks back and her eyes reply, I know, sweetheart. For fuck's sake, why am I here again? You're here, Shana, because you tried to end your life again and you failed again. All of a sudden, that gut-wrenching anguish of how much pain I'll have put my parents through begins again. I don't cry. I can't. There are no tears. I'm angry. Angry that it didn't work. Angry that I have to go through the process of recovery. Angry that I'm such a pathetic waste of space and someone or something is enjoying making me suffer. And then I see it, a smile from across the room. 
It's a four bed ward and opposite me is a lady sat up in bed smiling at me. I manage a lopsided smile back. The nurse moves on after pricking my finger for what feels like to be the 47th time for a blood sugar reading. She heads over to the lady with a smile. I hear them chatting about not being able to sleep and notice the lady with a smile has a book and a pen in her hand. She looks to be doing a crossword puzzle. I roll over and close my eyes. I'm desperate for sleep, but something tells me I won't be getting any. The lady in the bed next to me starts singing Christmas carols. It's September. Her name's Linda. She's really sick. Cancer. But currently on this ward because she tripped and fell in the hospital foyer and broke her leg. She's very chatty. We talked this afternoon and she told me about her kids, her family and her cancer story. I shared some stuff too. No details though. I mean, how do you tell someone who's dying that you just tried to kill yourself? I think she knows though. She knows why I'm in pain. It's almost 1am and I can't sleep. Linda's awake as well. She tells me she wants to go out for a cigarette but needs to see if the nurse will take her. I offer to take her. She smiles and I go and get the wheelchair. The nurse tells us not to be out too long. It sounds strange saying this but it feels so normal. The two of us just chatting outside of the hospital having a smoke. We laugh a lot and make the most of the dry and warmish night. We go back in after a second smoke. I help her get into bed and she tells me to try and get some sleep. It's nearly 2.30am. I crawl into bed and look up to say goodnight. She says goodnight and she smiles. I'm being discharged today, I think, which means I'll be getting a visit from the mental health team. Great. Linda calls me over to her bed. She can see I'm worried and we have a little chat. She holds my hand and smiles. When the mental health team do come, I'm ready. I know the drill. We go into a meeting room. This time I try and tell them I don't want to go home, that I'm too sick, I'm too scared. It's no use. They don't listen. I go back to the ward. I go to Linda. I'm crying. She tells me everything will be okay. She walks with me as I leave the hospital. Well, I walk and I push her in the wheelchair. She said she will get a porter to take her back. We stand outside. We have a cigarette together. She gives me the can of body spray out of a handbag that I've used a few times. She asks me where I'll go. I don't have an answer, but still, I call for the taxi anyway. She makes me promise to let her know I'm okay later. I tell her I will and we swap numbers. The taxi comes and I get in. I look back at her with tears in my eyes and give her a wave. She waves back with a smile. The lady with a smile was a beautiful soul who I met during my last hospital admittance back in 2018. For those 48 hours, she gave me the kind of love and support a new mother can give. Without judgment or question, she was kind, compassionate and caring. She was my guardian angel. After our initial meeting, Linda and I stayed in touch. Sadly, her condition deteriorated and she spent most of the next two months in hospital. I visited her twice. The last time was in November and I took my mum with me. She wanted to meet the lovely lady that had cared for her daughter during a particularly dark time in her life. When they met, they exchanged an unspoken appreciation for each other. This story is for Linda, the lady with the smile, my guardian angel. Take a moment. Good. I'm all right. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, it's even more powerful hearing it from you uh, than it was uh, when I 
originally read it. Um, I'm not going to ask loads of questions about it because it's quite clear how emotional it is and for obvious reasons. So all I want to do is, again, thank you for reading it and thank you for being here today um, as our guest on the Storytelling with Puck podcast. And not just for reading that story, but for being so open about everything um, and for being so willing to share. It means a lot, not just to me, but I guarantee to so many people, it means everything. It means the world. So on a slightly strange way to try and finish the podcast (laughs) after that story, um, let's finish on by going going back to the extreme positives of where you are now in your life and where you are now with the business, which is absolutely incredible um, and deserves all the appreciation and respect that I have for it. Um, and let's tell everybody where they can find you if they need the kind of wonderful support you can give. Um, okay, so yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. So um, my name Shana Dasmat, which I assume will be linked to this post when it goes out. It and Instagram, my Instagram handle is um, Shana underscore KCJ, where there's a link to my where you can book in for a discovery session with me all my discovery sessions are basically experience of the coaching that you'll get from me um absolutely free and we can just get to know each other and figure out how I can help you um I do have a website but it's currently in the works so not quite ready yet um but yeah there's a few things on my Instagram where you'll find links to my like my blog and my um podcast that I also have with my friend and all sorts of different things we will make sure that we put all of those links onto the show notes, um, including the website once it's up and running. Just send me a message to let me know. <laughs> thank you. And uh, all I can say for now is thank you once again for joining us. Um, yeah. We will, as regular listeners will know, we will end in the same way that we started uh, with a story. Thank you, Shana. Thank you so much. From time to time, it feels like all the time you'd be better far away. Away from all the misery you feel every day. Away from what seems to be your toxic energy. Away from making anyone feel what you feel. From time to time it feels like all the time you'd be better off alone. Alone so no one senses the sadness of your tone. Alone, where no one can find you, so they can live their lives. Alone and gone forever, to help them all survive. From time to time, it feels like all the time your head tells you what's true. True that you're not loved, people just put up with you. True that no one cares that you're hurting inside. True that it would be better to say a final goodbye. Yet time to time is not all the time. So often tricks are played by the mind. Mind yourself as you think these thoughts. Don't let the darkness make you blind. Blind to the fact that people do care. Blind to the fact that people want you there. Blind to the fact that you are loved. Blind to the fact that although life is rough. You are not alone. 
It really is okay not to be okay. And no matter how bad it gets, it's always better when you are here. You've just been listening to the Storytelling with Puck podcast. We'll be back very soon, so make sure you subscribe and catch up on any of the episodes you've missed.